Hi, I'm Monica Reinagel. Welcome back to the Nutrition Divas Quick and Dirty Tips for Eating Well and Feeling Fabulous. Planning the menu for big holiday dinners like Thanksgiving has gotten a lot more complex. These days, chances are pretty good that your guest list will include at least one vegan, someone who's gluten intolerant, and any number of other special dietary needs and requests. A few months ago, Kara Rhoda of The Clever Cookster Show and I shared some ideas on what to serve when vegans are coming for dinner. And today, I've got some tips on grain-free options just in time for Thanksgiving. Joining me today to talk about grain-free and paleo cooking is Danielle Walker. She's the author of the popular blog, Against All Grain, and she's got several best-selling cookbooks featuring recipes that are 100% grain and dairy-free. Thanks so much for joining me, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me. So in your first book, which I loved, thank you, you wrote a little bit about your history and uh, you said that you eventually found your way to a paleo style diet, one that includes no grains, no dairy, no legumes after you were diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. Yes. And then because it sounds like cooking had always been a passion for you, you kind of went on a mission to develop recipes (laughs) so that people who don't eat grains or dairy wouldn't have to go without favorite foods like bread or muffins or cheese or even ice cream. Right. So to say, and looking through your cookbooks, it really doesn't look to me like you're stuck with a limited or deprived (laughs) menu because of the foods that you'd no longer eat. And it's, you know, it's not that hard to imagine developing meat or vegetable dishes that don't include grains, but you have whole chapters on foods that seem as if they would be much trickier. Things like grain-free breads and cookies and muffins and granola and ice cream and yogurt. (laughs) So as a baker myself, I'm particularly interested in your approach to grain-free baking. I imagine that grain-free baked goods tend to have a different texture and crumb. Maybe they keep a little bit differently. Can you describe some of the differences? I mean, what should we expect when we do grain-free baking? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it is good to set your expectations. Uh, however, I do really strive to try to get as close to that um, kind of, you know, original crumb and texture as you're used to. Um, I I really pride myself in making things that pass under the radar for people, you know, that maybe don't have to eat gluten-free or grain-free, but they still love what they're eating every bit as much. Um, but that being said, things can be a little bit more dense, um, you know, without the gluten in there and, and yeast, which I don't use either. Things are definitely a little bit more dense. Um, but, you know, they still taste fantastic. Uh, in terms of, of storage, uh, yeah, they don't keep as long. You know, there's no preservatives. There's nothing in it that, that keeps it longer. So I tend to keep things in the refrigerator uh, or just for a few days at a time or in the freezer. You know, I have a lot of tips on doubling and making things in advance because this does take a little bit longer. Um, People really like to try to plan in advance and try to make multiple batches of things. Yeah. We were just talking last week about how when you're trying to eat healthy, you need ways to save time because it is a little bit more time intensive. Yes. So in reading through your recipes, I noticed that in foods that we would normally use wheat flour in, you seem to have honed in on a combination of almond flour and then usually a little bit of coconut flour added Mm -hmm. to that. So I was curious, how did you come up with that particular combination and what is it that makes that the one that works? Yeah, you know, it was a lot of trial and error. Uh, When I first started baking this way, it was back in 2008. 
and there wasn't much out there yet um, in terms of grain-free baking. And, you know, you can't go to culinary school and learn how to bake grain-free. Um, and so I tested a lot of other people's recipes that were just using almond flour. And I found that most of the time things were coming out really dense and a little bit oily from the, the nuts, you know, just those natural oils that were coming out. And so I started playing around with adding little bits of coconut flour. And the coconut flour, because it's so absorbent, because really what it is is just dehydrated coconut meat that's ground up. So once you add liquid back in, you know, it just kind of sucks up all that liquid. And so it was acting as sort of an, a sponge almost for that oil that the almonds were putting out. And it was making things a little bit more fluffy, giving it a little bit more rise, um, also giving it a little bit more of a cake-like texture rather than kind of a dense pound cake. And so it took some time figuring out just how much, you know, and I uh, remember when I first started testing with coconut flour, I was trying to substitute it in one for one for just a white flour and things were just coming out like bricks <laughs> <laughs> and just awful tasting. And so that's when I realized, you know, you really don't need much coconut flour. Even if you have a recipe where there's no almond flour and you're just using coconut flour, you'll see it often times as little as, you know, a quarter cup or a half a cup, which most people think, oh, that can't be right. You know, it must need to be two cups or that was a typo. Um, but you really don't need much. A, a little goes a long way. And so that was kind of my intro into combining flours. And, um, you know, I'm not a trained uh, chef or pastry chef. And I just started looking at different gluten-free baking mixes or gluten-free, uh, you know, flour mixes. And you never found one that was just simply, you know, millet flour or something like that or spelt flour. It was always a combination. You always saw like a rice flour and combined with, you know, a starch or potato flour. And uh, so that's where I, I kind of started testing out different combinations in the kitchen. And, and that one was the one that seemed to work best. That's so interesting. Yeah, I think that they combine those different flowers to try to pick up some properties from yes. each of them. But I have to admit, I don't know if I would have come up with that idea with the coconut flour on my own. Yeah. So that was um, a great find of yours. I, I noticed that too, that the, the breads are um, not yeast raised. They're all quick breads. So that yes. means that they use baking powder or baking soda to rise. Yes. Is that because yeast just doesn't work when you're not using wheat? Uh, yes, yeast really works well with gluten. Um, you know, it, it is fed by it and it helps the rise and it, everything kind of works together. And so uh, that's one of the other reasons, you know, it just doesn't really seem to do much with grain-free baking. Uh, it gives it a bit of the, the yeasty flavor that some people are used to, but it doesn't have those same kind of properties where it makes the bread, you know, really stretchy or, or rise a lot more. So it just is left out more, you know, to have simplicity, first of all, and, and also because it doesn't seem to have the same effect. Interesting. So uh, as we said before, you sort of found your way to this way of eating as a way to manage a specific health condition. But mm -hmm. these days, lots of people that don't have any autoimmune disorder or digestive disease are adopting a paleo diet as a way just to eat healthier. Right. Mm -hmm. And a while back, I did a show sort of on the pros and cons of the paleo approach. And one of, for me, one of the major advantages of the paleo style diet is that you end up not eating any bread or cookies okay. or cakes or anything like that because <laughs> they're made with grains and that it eliminated a lot of sort of the more processed foods and, and a lot of empty calories from people's diets. So I saw that as sort of a plus. Right. But now you've found a way to make <laughs> all these cookies and cakes and breads that are paleo friendly. And I right. guess I'm wondering with uh, the availability of all of these treats, does that start to undermine the benefits, uh, that particular benefit of the paleo diet in that people are eating more whole foods and, and fewer treats? 
So, you know, I think it depends on, on the way you're looking at it. And, and I've always come from a standpoint of that I create those treats so that people don't feel like they're deprived or ostracized, especially for children, you know, and, and like you said, I did, I had to come to this and there was no other choice. Um, so for me, this is a lifelong lifestyle that I have changed and I don't want to go the rest of my life, you know, going to my child's birthday party and not being able to have a slice of cake or, or send, you know, a, a sugar cookie with him to school or a quote unquote sugar cookie. I use honey, but, uh, you know, that he can decorate or, um, being able to bake chocolate chip cookies with my kids as they're growing up, like I remember, you know, doing with my mom. Those are pastimes and those are those are traditions that I don't think should be excluded just because you have special dietary restrictions. So, you know, I always tell people it's the same. It is a treat, um, you know, whether it has a low glycemic sweetener or not, or, you know, it uses almond flour, which is really high in protein, or it uses coconut flour, which is really high in fiber. So, you know, they're, they're definitely better for you than a, a, a white flour that really, like you said, is just empty calories, really doesn't have much, you know, in the terms of nutritional value, but it still should be looked at like a treat. And, um, you know, we still do look at my desserts and all those things I've created as special occasion things, things that I can keep in the freezer that I can send with my son, you know, so he doesn't feel left out or that I can bring out if we're having dinner guests and I want to be able to serve them something special at the end of dinner. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's really kind of why, you know, I've created them. But I find that, like you said, you know, cooking without grains when you're just doing meat and vegetables, you can find hundreds and thousands of recipes on all of the major, you know, recipe sites. You can still use all your old cookbooks for things like that. And, and oftentimes they're naturally grain-free. But where people find that they have the hardest time trying to make stuff is, is the baked goods and, and things like that, where they really need them for, you know, for holidays or for birthdays, things like that. So that's kind of where I've set out my mission to be able to, to give those to them and, and not have them feel deprived. Well, I think you certainly fulfilled your mission. And, uh, <laughs> but yes, I think that was perfectly said that, you know, just because these are paleo friendly doesn't turn them into a, an all you can eat uh, yes. sort of opportunity. They still need to be viewed as a treat and eaten right. in moderation. Yeah, exactly. So I have one more nutrition question for you. Sure. Uh, your cookbooks, um, I think I've seen all of them now, and I don't think any of them <laughs> provide nutrition information or calories for the recipes. Am I correct about that? So Meals Made Simple, my second cookbook does. Um, there's an index in the back, yeah. And, okay. But you are correct in the others. Um, and we're working on actually having a, kind of a, a separate thing on my blog uh, for oh, the first book where you can get those, those nutritional um, facts. Well, the reason I ask is because I noticed that you use a lot of nuts and mm -hmm. flowers to stand in for grains. And sometimes the nuts stand in for dairy and, um, you know, right. all, they're very, they're so versatile and I'm sure they work great for those purposes. But of course, nuts are higher in fat than right. regular flour. And so I'm guessing when you do the nutritional analysis, those items are going to end up being higher in calories than their conventional counterpoints, right. counterparts. And I'm just curious, when you first adopted this way of eating, did you find that you had to make any adjustment in terms of your portion sizes, maybe <laughs> compensate for the fact that grain-free foods are often going to be more energy dense than the regular versions of those foods. I like energy dense. That's a good way to, to put it <laughs> because it's not a bad thing necessarily. No. Um, you know, I'm a bit of an anomaly because I was very, very underweight. And if you look at my before and after photos in my story, that's on my blog or in my books, um, I was about 20 to 25 pounds underweight from malabsorption and um, just from my disease because I wasn't, you know, keeping anything in that I was eating. So I actually was purposely eating more nuts and fruit juices and dried fruits to try to gain weight back. Now, you know, there's a lot of people that do come to this for trying to lose weight. Uh, and so 
you know, yes, they do, especially with the treats. Um, and that's what I just tell people. If you're really trying to lose weight or you're trying to maintain a healthy weight, then those, of course, yes, those are treats. Um, but I also find, and people tell me, you know, often people that were eating, you know, a regular standard diet that when they switch to a paleo diet, just because they're cutting out the wheat, they're cutting out the refined sugars, they're cutting out other items that spike blood sugar, that they're finding that it self-regulates and that they really don't have to watch it. There's kind of an overall mentality within the paleo community that you don't really count calories. You don't get on the scale. It's really more of just a healthy lifestyle. And people find that they just naturally lose weight uh, when they stop eating all of the refined and processed foods. And so, you know, it's kind of, again, it's that same thing of, it depends why you're coming to it, you know, what, what your, what your goal is. Um, but yes, of course, those definitely are higher. And sometimes when we first started getting the nutritional data for some of the recipes, I was, I was almost shocked. I was like, oh my goodness, I, I didn't realize it was that high, but you know, yeah. I'm still consuming it and I'm, you know, not gaining, gaining weight like I was when I was eating this and that, you know, so, um, but yes, so we, we do have them available for people that really do want to watch them. You know, if there's somebody with diabetes that wants to look at the carbs or, or this, that, you know, but, uh, for the most part, most people find that they just don't, it's not, you know, healthy mindset for them to be constantly tracking it. And they're able to kind of relax a bit and really just enjoy food and real foods. And, and they find that they're, they're good just by doing that, which is nice. <laughs> Well, I think even for people who are not following a 100% grain-free diet or a strict paleo diet, I think these recipes are so innovative and creative. They're beautifully photographed, by the way. Thank and you. I think these are just, your books are a great resource for any adventurous cook and really useful if you're cooking for somebody with dietary restrictions. Right. And you've Thank got you. two special cookbooks that are devoted specifically to holiday menus. There's Thankful for Thanksgiving and Joyful for the December holidays. And I saw you even have recipes for grain-free stuffing and pecan yeah. pie. So, so are these holidays 100% grain-free at your house? And how do your guests respond to those menus? You know, they are now. Um, it was interesting when I first started developing the recipes. Well, it was a, a bit of a transition. So the first year that I went grain-free, I remember going to like our friends giving with some of our friends and I just felt so sorry for myself. I felt so deprived. I wasn't able to eat anything. You know, I think I had some turkey and that might've been it. Um, and I brought some mashed cauliflower for myself and remember kind of looking at everybody eating mashed potatoes and thinking, Oh, I missed those. Um, and so I started really working on developing those recipes for the next year. And everybody was a bit hesitant at first. And, um, you know, they were, you know, my mom wanted to make a traditional stuffing to go alongside of mine <laughs> just to, just in case. And <laughs> it, it turned out that by the end of the meal, all of the dishes that I cooked and brought were gone completely. And, you know, everything else was still left. And then the next year, everybody took a recipe from my thankful and they brought it and there wasn't anything that was, you know, grain, grain or dairy um, on the, on the table. And, everybody at the end just said, wow, that was so good. You know, I don't feel so heavy and tired like I normally do after Thanksgiving. And, and so that was the best confirmation for me, you know, that my work or affirmation really that my work, you know, was being enjoyed by people who didn't have to eat that way. And, oh. and so, uh, that's what I've been hearing, you know, thankful has been out now for two years. Um, and people just have switched their entire menus. And like you said, you know, whether they're just trying to eat a healthier meal, uh, or they're trying to maybe feed a guest that's coming that's gluten-free, but maybe the family hosting is not gluten-free, uh, but they just need sound recipes that everybody can enjoy because nobody wants to try to fix two different dishes you know, right. of the same thing. 
because Thanksgiving is already so much work as it is at the end of the year where we're cooking 20 things in one day. Um, and so it, it's, you know, it's helpful for kind of all over the board. Well, um, to check out Danielle's, the holiday recipe collections, you still have two weeks left before Thanksgiving yes. to, uh, to plan your menu as well as her blog and all of her books. You can visit her website. It's againstallgrain.com. And of course, we have a link to that on our website at nutritiondiva.quickanddirtytips.com. Thank you, Danielle, so much for for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'll be back next week with some tips on how to modify your nutrition and your menu as colder weather settles in. Until then, have a great week. 